I grew up on the outskirts of Edinburgh in a quiet wee estate called Morton Hall, not far from the 18th century Morton Hall House. Morton Hall, I'd learn in later life, wasn't just a safe place for me to grow up, but also an area of some historical significance. In 1317, Morton Hall was given to the St Clair family of Roslyn. That may be a familiar name to you if you're a fan of the Da Vinci Code, and the land was gifted by King Robert the Bruce. The land remained in the possession of the St Clairs for a further 300 years until it was sold to the Rigg family, then the Porterfields, then the... well, you get the picture. It was the Trotter family who built Morton Hall House in 1769, and it was close to here that the famous Morton Hall scabbard was found a Celtic scabbard dating back to around 200 AD. I have so many happy memories of being a kid in Morton Hall. I had a great group of friends. We'd often go for a Sunday lunch in the stable bar, which is in the grounds of Morton Hall House, and we'd be out playing from dusk until dawn. I also have some creepy memories of living there, especially of the woods at the end of the housing estate. These woods acted as a border between the main estate and the more modern Morton Hall housing estate. And one thing that Morton Hall lacked was a good flat area of grass for kids to play football on. Everywhere was contoured and hilly apart from one strip of grass near the woods. That area was maybe 200 feet long and 50 feet wide, but unfortunately on a bit of a slope. It was good enough for us to have a kick about on. One of the local legends was that the White Lady of Morton Hall roamed the woods and was seen regularly, especially by people who'd gone into the woods to collect their footballs. So I constantly had one eye on the action and the other on the trees, and there was no way I was getting that ball back if it went in there. No way. I never did see the White Lady of Morton Hall, and I don't know of anyone who has, but that was my first exposure to the phenomena of White Ladies and it's the ghost of a white lady who's the subject of today's story. Gorstorfen is a suburb to the west of Edinburgh. Until fairly recently, it was an entirely separate village, having only been incorporated into Edinburgh in the early years of the 20th century. Likely established in around the 12th century, the village was built between two locks, the Gogor Lock and the Gorstorfen Lock both of which have long since been drained. Our story centres on the 16th century ducat, or dovecot, and the old sycamore tree that stood next to it, unfortunately lost in a recent storm. A ducat is a Scots word describing a building that's sole intent is to house pigeons or doves, hence the name. These were important food sources in medieval times. The Kerstorfen ducat was, at one point, in the grounds of the now-demolished Kerstorfen castle, which was owned by Laird James Forrester, an important part of our story. Forrester was described as an incredibly charming yet drunk individual, and although a widower, he had a reputation as a notorious womaniser. He caught the eye of one Christian Nimmo, the beautiful then wife of a rich Edinburgh merchant and it was by the ducat that they would meet for their secret trysts under the large sycamore tree. On one occasion, accompanied by her servant, brought to keep watch, Lady Nimmo patiently waited for the laird to appear, which he duly did, but late 
and drunk. Lady Nemo was a renowned beauty, but also well known for her temper. In fact, in 1890, Julian Margaret Wakeland Warrender wrote in her book Walks Near Edinburgh, she was a great deal younger than himself and a niece of his first wives. This relationship greatly increased the scandal, which was aggravated by Lord Forrester having always professed to be a religious man and a rigid Presbyterian. Mrs Nimmo, besides being a very beautiful woman, was of violent and impulsive nature. She was believed to always carry a sword under her petticoats and so was not a person to be treated lightly, especially by those who reflected what blood ran in her veins. Forrester's drunken state and tone with Lady Nemo raised her ire and a vicious argument ensued. After trading insults, she is said to have whipped out the drunken Laird's sword and in a fit of rage, run him through with it, the blade penetrating his heart. As Forrester's life ebbed away, covered in her lover's blood, she stumbled back in shock at the scene that lay before her. And upon realisation of what she'd done, Lady Nimmo fled with her servant and made a desperate attempt to return to Edinburgh, but she was soon captured by the Laird's sons. Racked with guilt, she immediately confessed to her crime, but stated she acted in self-defence due to James's intoxicated state. Her pleas were to no avail and she was in prison for the Laird's murder. Filthy and broken from her time in the old Tollbooth jail on the Royal Mile, she was brought to the Merkit Cross in the town centre for execution. A baying crowd jeered as she was brought out from her cell and marched towards the block. It's said that she chose to dress all in white, and although clearly suffering from the effects of her imprisonment, she was still said to radiate beauty. Upon reaching the executioner's block, she faced her fate with grace and courage, lowering her head to await her end. Her spirit has been seen regularly, dressed in the white dress she last wore, forlornly wandering near the ducat and through the trees surrounding it, in particular round the old sycamore tree, where her heart was broken by the drunken laird. In her hand she holds the bloodied weapon she'd used to cut down her former lover. Does she haunt the sight out of guilt and remorse for her actions? Does she haunt it looking for the man she once loved? Or is the apparition a recording of the events immediately after the murder that plays out, over and over, until the energy fades? Not long after the scandal had died down, a letter was found, written by James and addressed to the Pope. Being a widower and in love with his niece, he had written asking for dispensation allowing him to marry Christian. Now there's no doubt they both deeply loved each other, and it's that passion that ultimately doomed them. As Socrates once said, the hottest love has the coldest end.